If you guys have been with us for any length of time, you know that for the last several weeks we have been in Isaiah 53, which I share with you, I believe, is probably one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in the entire Old Testament. It's simply 12 verses, but in 12 verses, the prophet Isaiah talks about Jesus' incarnation, his sinless life, his perfect substitutionary sacrifice for us on the cross, his burial and his resurrection and his ascension all in 12 verses. And Isaiah never met Jesus. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 700 years before Jesus ever set foot on planet Earth. How many know the Bible is supernatural? And the prophecies about Jesus, if that's all that we had, uh, would hold us uh, as guilty before God for rejecting the evidence that God's put before us. But I mean, you know, we have more than the prophecy. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ in time, in human history, that we're celebrating today. And so we have a lot that we're accountable to because we've been given much. We talked about kind of, the, we broke these down into four different stanzas, if you will. The first stanza was our treason. The Bible says we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. We despised him. We rejected him. We ignored the most important human being who ever set foot on planet Earth. How many of you know the gospel isn't good news until it's bad news? And the bad news is, first of all, we're all guilty before God. We stand hopeless before God. We stand helpless before God. If Jesus doesn't come on the scene, every one of us will die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. And how many of you know that's, that would, what would be called justice? That's called justice. Thank God He didn't give us justice. We talked about the second stanza, the next three verses of Isaiah 53, God's amazing transfer. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. How many of you know Jesus was your substitute and my substitute? He took upon my sin and your sin upon his body on the cross. That's the good news is we have a substitute which led us to Good Friday. And we talked about the tragedy of the cross. We talked about how at the cross, the justice of God and the mercy and love of God collide violently in the death of Jesus Christ, where the mercy of God and the justice of God actually kiss at the cross and where God is able to justify uh, His righteousness before a sinful world, but He also does it in a way that is loving and kind and merciful and that He comes, He sends His Son to die in our stead. So He satisfies the law and He satisfies our sin, but He does it in a way that is most loving. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that nobody would have to perish so that his judgment would not have to fall upon planet earth. The Bible says in verse 7 of Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and treated harshly, and yet he never said a word. The beauty of Jesus' character in silence under the most vicious of assaults and attacks on Calvary. And so today we're going to end with the final uh, stanza, which is the triumph of the cross. And I want you to look with me at Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12 this morning. Isaiah 53, verse 10. The Bible says this, It was the Lord's good plan to crush him. And I think the King James Version says it pleased the Lord. Now, I want to make something very, very clear today, because when we hear about pleasure, it was pleasing, it almost sounds like God took some kind of sadistic joy in watching his son be crushed and beaten and tortured. And how many of you know that couldn't be farther from the truth? There's no pleasure that God has. God says he doesn't even take pleasure in the death of the wicked. How much more would he not take pleasure in the death of his son? 
This verse is actually better interpreted as the New Living Translation says it. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him. What God took pleasure in was the wisdom and the genius of his good plan. He took pleasure in the fact that his son was willing to operate the plan and to embrace the plan and to go forward and to complete the plan. The pleasure that God had was in knowing that the plan that he had, the Bible says, uh, before the foundation of the world, before creation ever happened, God had a plan to redeem fallen humanity. This is stunning to us. If you look at, at uh, the purpose of God's plan, we see that the pleasure was not in the crushing of his son. It was not in the pain, but it was in the purpose that was fulfilled. It was not in his son's suffering, but it was in the salvation that his son secured for us. And it was not pleasure in the agony, but it was pleasure in what the agony accomplished on the cross. Peter said this on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and you killed him. Now, I like to boast on the sovereign power of God on Resurrection Sunday. Because how many of you know if I were to ask you who killed Jesus, we could say, well, the Roman soldiers killed Jesus or the Gentiles killed Jesus or the Jewish leaders killed Jesus. But let me just tell you, it's actually better than that. Let me tell you who killed Jesus. God killed Jesus. God killed Jesus. He did it through the sinful, wicked acts of fallen human beings, but it was God's plan from before the foundation of the world to offer His Son as a sacrifice for our sin. In fact, go back to Acts 2. God knew what would happen. This was His prearranged plan. Now, this should give us hope, and I want to encourage you today, because we're singing about Friday and losing hope, and we're singing about Sunday and a tomb rolled away and being an empty tomb. How many of you know God takes the tragedies that the devil likes to dish out in this, in this side of eternity? In other words, there are wicked things done by wicked people to God's people, uh, but God is still triumphs over them in the cross. God still takes the brokenness and the pain and the suffering and the tragedy that's even happening all over the world even today as I speak, and God is able to take what the enemy meant for evil and transform it into something beautiful. Only God could take the, the horror of the cross and turn it into something that we celebrate on resurrection. Sunday morning. And I want to tell you, God does that in your life. God does that in my life. We are not, you know, people who are under it. We're not people that are hopeless. We are people pregnant with hope because of the cross. There is a God. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is mighty. He has a plan. He is working out his story even now. That's how big and powerful he is. And listen, if God's not that big, if God's not that big and God's not that powerful, we should find a bigger God and a more powerful God. But the good news is he's large and he's in charge and the resurrection demonstrates his largeness and his sovereign purpose. Christ came in the second part of verse 10 as our willing sacrifice. And it says, when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan is going to prosper in his hands. I want you to see that when Jesus lays down his life and he sheds his blood on the cross, that sacrifice that we celebrated on Friday, on Good Friday, that sacrifice produces three powerful results. And I want to cover these results with us this morning. First of of all, this is great news. Jesus, as a result of his sacrifice, is going to have many descendants or many spiritual offspring. The Bible says in John 12, verse 24, I tell you the truth, 
Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. Listen to this. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus was planted in the ground as an original seed. But how many of you know, anytime you plant a seed, you don't get back tenfold or thirtyfold. You get back a thousandfold. I mean, one seed has an infinite number of other seeds. How many of you know when Christ was buried and placed in the ground? He was a seed that, that was buried for us out of his resurrection life. How many of you know we just sang about it? Open the door. I'm coming out. I'm going to live. I'm going to live again. All right? In other words, Jesus, when he rolls the tomb away and Jesus comes out in resurrection life, the Bible says there's going to be a plentiful harvest of new lives. Every one of you in this room that's bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, you're part of the 30, 60, and 100 fold. You're part of the first fruits of God's salvation that's coming, the Bible says, to many new lives. In fact, look at this next one. I love this. This is is in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. And it was right and proper that God who made everything for his glory, should allow Jesus to suffer. For in doing so, listen to this, he was bringing a vast or vast multitudes of God's people to heaven. Bringing vast multitudes of God's people to heaven. You know, I stood on a stage uh, that was the biggest platform I had stood on in terms of an audience in Pakistan not too long ago. Many of you know our church is working on a regular basis with our good friends in Pakistan. There's a massive harvest right now in Pakistan. And as I stood on that stage, looking out at a sea of faces, I did my very best not to see a sea of faces, but to see individual faces. I looked at the faces of those people. Let me tell you what I saw. I saw desperate faces. I saw faces that were hungry for God. I saw people that needed a touch from God. And as far as my eye could see, I saw people. How many of you know that's just Pakistani people in a local place? But there was a huge audience of people. And I believe, again, that we're going to see, as in fact, look at the next verse here. When we look at, at John uh, in the book of Revelation, John is given a picture of what Christ, the full effect of the cross and the offspring that's coming. Look at what it says in John chapter 5, verse 9. It says, they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and to open it, for you were slaughtered. Here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, they see him. You were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. How many of you know that's the full scope of Jesus' saving work? Not just a few sons or daughters, but I love this. People from every nation, tribe, and language, every nation of the world. That's why the Bible says from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be glorified. I'm telling you, when I, when I look on my Facebook and, and the Easter celebrations are coming from all of our Eastern friends, I'm realizing that God has already given us many, many brothers and sisters. How many of you know the people in this room were brothers and sisters? We're part of, we're, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He is our big brother. But it's bigger than this. The scope of what Jesus is doing is touching every planet on earth. And, I, and as big as that audience was, can you imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus takes center stage on the great day when all of his people are gathered from every nation, tribe, and language all through human history? I saw a limitless sea of Pakistanis. That's just one group. There's going to be an audience so big. 
and so awesome. And listen to me, we're dealing with racial issues in America. Can I just tell you something? There's only one person big enough to bring all the races together in love and in unity and in peace. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And you get this picture. When I stood on that stage, I just want to tell you, I did not feel important. I felt very small because I was one of a multitude. Can you imagine when we're standing on the great day with a multitude? In fact, let me get to the rest of the good news here. Look at what it says. John keeps going on. Look what it says in John 7, verse 9. This shows us the depth of Christ's atoning work. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. Listen to this. A vast crowd, too great to count. I love being tiny before the Lord. In fact, can I just tell you, standing on this stage preaching about the great one, I don't feel big this morning. I feel incredibly little. But I feel so blessed to trumpet the greatest message that the earth has ever heard because someday I'm going to be standing there looking around as far as I can see in every direction and then looking at the Lamb of God taking center stage and there will be people, so many people, the Bible says you won't be able to count them. And what do we all have in common? We've all been resurrected by the power of Jesus. We've all been, in fact, Jesus, that giant multitude of people, Jesus took every one of their sins, every one of their sicknesses, every one of their their bondages. He took them upon himself, and he will be there as the exalted king in front of a, a vast multitude, so big, so colorful, all the nations of the world, beautiful people from all over, all of God's creation gathered around his throne. How many of you know we started off as lost sheep, but we returned to the Lord as sons and daughters? Lost sheep that have become sons and daughters. Part of the gift of Jesus that he receives by virtue of his atoning death is a vast multitude of brothers and sisters. That is an incredible gift. Let's look at the second gift. The Bible says Jesus is going to be given a long life. He will enjoy a long life. How many of you know this is a picture, uh, a foretelling of the resurrection because the sacrificial lamb is dead. How can a dead lamb be given a long life if there's not a resurrection that happens? God is going to resurrect the sacrificial lamb, and he's going to have a long life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. How many of you know God not only promised Jesus a long life, but an eternal life? The fact that God raised him from the dead means that his sacrifice was good, it was valid, it was precious, it did what it was supposed to do. And I want you to hear this. If we are not here today celebrating this moment. This is a moment in history. This is a real flesh and blood moment. A real Jesus who died on a real cross who three days later rose from the dead. In fact, we sang about the rattling. How many of you know there was no rattling in Jesus' bones because the Bible says he did not experience decay. But there was a lot of rattling in dead bones that came out of tombs just simply by the after effects of Jesus' resurrection power from the grave. That's the rattling that's going on in us. God takes dead people, raises them up, puts their bones back together, breathes life into them. That's the rattling that we're talking about that Jesus made possible for us. Our faith is not useless, and we're not dead in our sins because Jesus Christ is alive. The resurrection was both the reward and the vindication 
of Christ's sacrificial death. When Jesus came out of the grave, that was God saying, what my son did was enough. In fact, when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, that was his side of the equation. When God resurrects him from the dead, God says, it is finished, all right? That is the final bookend, and it is the public endorsement again that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. The Bible says this, in Romans chapter 6, I'm giving you guys a lot of scripture this morning. Is that okay? Let me tell you why I'm giving you a lot of scripture. Because this is the foundation and the cornerstone of everything that matters in Christianity. Today is the big day. If today doesn't happen, we're as good as dead. Our message is irrelevant. I am hitting you with the word because I want you to be grounded in the truth of God's word and I want you to know why we're celebrating today. It says in Romans uh, chapter 6 verse 8, since we died with Christ... We know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Hallelujah. And death no longer has any power over him. Can I just tell you, if I ever have the privilege of doing anybody's funeral in this room and you were at this church and you love Jesus and you joined us in worship, I'm going to be standing there in front of your casket and here's what I'm preaching. Jesus Christ defeated death. Where do we have hope? Where will this person lay in this casket? What kind of hope can I give this dead person or to their relatives or anybody that loves them? This is the hope I give them. Jesus Christ conquered death. He's never going to die again. And because he conquered death, we conquer death. That's why we celebrate. That's why we rejoice. In fact, it gets better. I love the picture. Look, look at this next picture of, of, of Acts chapter 2. What is the message that they're preaching on the day of Pentecost? This is bold preaching, apostolic preaching, in-your-face preaching, power preaching. What are they preaching? Well, here's part of it. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. I want you to picture every demon in hell trying to hold Jesus in the tomb, getting their nasty fingers into his body, trying to hold him down. Satan himself trying to hold Jesus down. But the Bible says every work of demonic darkness could not hold him down. That's the power of the resurrection. That is the resurrection life and power in the people of God. This is our message. It's a bold message. It's an in-your-face message. It's the message of a risen king. It's a message that says even our worst enemy, death, could not hold Jesus down. Point number three, God's plan will prosper in the hands of Jesus. It says the Lord's good plan will prosper. In other words, mission accomplished. John 17, verse 4. I brought glory to you, Jesus said, here on earth. How? By completing the work you gave me to do. How many of you know there's something really awesome when the son is able to turn back to the father and say, you know what, dad, everything you ask of me, I did it completely. I did it perfectly. I did it with all my heart. Can I just ask you guys something? I don't know about you, but someday we're going to be standing before the Lord, right? We're going to give an account for our lives. How many of you know if you're saved, you're saved on purpose? You're not an accident. How many of you know Jesus went through a lot of intentional activity on the cross, in the grave, resurrecting? How about 33 years of sinless life? How many of you know there's been a lot of planning from the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit to set you up for salvation and, listen, for a life of purpose? 
Every Christian in this room should be brimming with purpose. There's no sense of confusion. Why am I here? Why should I get out of bed in the morning? I'm depressed. I'm this. Listen to me. You were saved for a purpose. You were saved for the glory of God. You were saved to matter. You were saved to matter in other people's lives. And someday, you're going to give an account for your life. Don't you want to stand before God and say, Father, I finished the purpose you had for my life. Mission accomplished. My life matters in the heart of God. My life exists in the plan of God. And your life exists in the plan of God. We still have an assignment. We still have the great commission that's trying to become the great completion. Are you with me? There's still people waiting to hear the good news. America needs this message for God's sake. We need to hear about a Savior and a resurrection and power. A resurrection power to change people's lives. We need it. The, pro- the, the purpose of God prospered in Jesus' hands. And so we see God's sovereign and we see Christ's willing sacrifice and all that it accomplished. And then look at verse 11, our satisfied Savior. When Jesus sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. Here's the question. What brings Jesus satisfaction? How many of you do home projects? You know, you get and like remodel the kitchen. I've heard about people that do that. <laughs> um, I actually can transform outside. I can plant stuff, and I'm pretty good out there, but I'm not really good on the inside. Some of you, I'm looking here at, at amazing cooks, chefs, the Sparrow family. Twilight, some amazing cakes. When you're done with one of those cakes that that looks too beautiful to eat, do you just stand back sometimes and just go, wow. I mean, seriously. I mean, work of art. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you have finished something, a project, you stand back with a sense of great satisfaction. You should. And you go, you know, this is a result of a lot of hard work. How many of you ever worked for a degree? You go to school, you study, you take exams, work, 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 pay, 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 all right? And then you walk across that graduation and they get your, and there should be a sense of, you know what? <sighs> this is sweet. I want you to see this. When Jesus is done with all that he did, he pauses and he looks out at that sea of humanity from every nation, tribe, language. And you know what he does? He has a, He has a sigh of satisfaction because he's satisfied in the work of his hands. You know what the father's satisfaction is? He's satisfied that his son so perfectly exalted and honored him in his life and death and resurrection that the father is so pleased with his son. In fact, he yells out loud multiple times in Scripture, that's my son, I'm so proud of you. Can I just say something this morning? What what makes Jesus so excited? Look Look at the next verse. It says here, my righteous servant's going to make it possible for many people to be counted righteous. Here's the, here's the sigh of satisfaction that I want you to get this morning. On Resurrection Sunday, we should all let out a sigh of relief. It's that sigh when, when you feel like, you know what, it's finished, the work's done. Because sometimes we get, taught, we get trapped in that religious uh, treadmill of performance and works. But here's the good news of the gospel. When Jesus said it's finished and when the Father raised him from the dead seated him at his right hand, there should be an incredible sense of relaxation and pause and exhale to know that this is basically what the, what the Father is going to say to you and me because of Jesus. You're all right. You're good to go. But Lord, but Lord, no, no, no. 
remember, it was the sacrifice of my son that counts you righteous. It's the sacrifice of my son that makes you justified with me. When we come before the Lord, it's not going to be in shame or turning our head away. It's going to be a full-faced embrace of Jesus because he justified us. He made us righteous. Look at what the Bible says, Romans 4.24. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, And since we've been made right in God's sight by his blood, by the blood of Jesus, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. How many of you are grateful this morning if you're in Christ? Your righteousness isn't based on your performance level. Your righteousness is based on Jesus' performance level. And so here's what we do. We let out a sigh of relief, and we gaze upon Jesus. And how many of you know, even as Jesus is satisfied with us, we're satisfied with what Jesus did. That's why we worship. How many of you guys that have been married for a while, you still look at your wife like I do? I look at my wife and I say, you know what? I'm satisfied in my choice. I'd ask you to marry me all over again. I love you as much as I did on the day I first set eyes on you. I choose you in a heartbeat all over again. You know what we do every Sunday? We come together in covenant. We worship Jesus. We say, you know what, Jesus? Thank you for choosing me. And Lord, I am satisfied in all that you've done. I wouldn't want anyone else to be king and savior of my life. What are we doing here? We're exchanging heartfelt gratitude and passion and worship. And we're basically saying we're satisfied. That's what it is to move in faith. It's to say that I'm satisfied for all that Jesus is for me and, and all that he's provided for me. I'm satisfied and he's satisfied. We're satisfied customers on every side. Let me get to the last point here this morning before we close. Jesus Christ is not only our willing sacrifice, but now because of the resurrection in verse 12, we find out that he is our sovereign king. The Bible says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he has exp exposed himself to death. The King James says it this way, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And it goes on to say he was counted among rebels and he bore the sins of many and he, he in interceded for rebels. The picture of the suffering servant is now he is compared on the virtue of his perfect sacrifice for us and of his powerful resurrection from the dead. Jesus is now compared to a warrior who's coming back with all the spoils and he's being richly rewarded for all of his hard work and effort and success and, and for risking his life on behalf of the cause. The, next, or the text ends with a triumph and a victory parade as the Lord God himself sets his servant on the throne and he rewards him with all the spoils of his conquering triumph. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is set on a throne. And we read about this in Acts 2. This is Peter again, preaching on the day of Pentecost. Listen to these powerful words. He says to this crowd that just crucified Christ, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. And yet David said this, I said to my Lord, sit in my place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And look at verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain 
that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I want to highlight something here. Messiah is important because he's saying, look, Jesus is the one sent to pay for our sins. But I want you to hear something powerful. It was at Christ's resurrection and his subsequent ascension that the Bible says he was given a new name, a name that he had never received before. And the name that he received by virtue of his glorious resurrection is the name Lord. Now, can I just tell you something? This message has got to be preached in America today because there are two things that Americans don't like to deal with. Number one, that we're sinners and that we need to repent and we need a Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one sent to save everyone from their sins. We must have a Messiah. We must recognize Him. But secondly, and this is where it gets to be a little bit of a rubbing place, Most people don't have problems saying, yes, I received Jesus as my Savior. But how many of you know He's also Lord, which means He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of everything. There's nothing that by virtue of His resurrection and by virtue of what He accomplished on the cross, there's nothing we should be holding back from Christ in our lives. In fact, how many of you know it's a package deal? You don't receive Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Because Jesus isn't multiple personalities, He's not two different people. He is Savior, He is Lord. To receive Jesus, you take the whole package. I realize for many of us, it's been a process of surrender and and trust and moving forward. But how many of you know what we're moving forward towards is spiritual maturity. We're moving forward to where we joyfully submit everything that we are to everything that Jesus is. I mean, you know, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'll tell you what people need to see. I'll tell you what Americans need to see. A church that's fully alive and on fire with resurrection power. It's not ashamed of the gospel. It's not ashamed of a suffering servant. It's not ashamed of the power of God unto salvation. That's what the world is looking to see. In Acts chapter 5, Peter says, God put him in a place of honor at his right hand. And Jesus is now the prince which is a governmental title, and the Savior, which is again is a, a testimony to what He did for us. Lastly, I want to mention this in Revelation, one more great insight snippet that, that John saw as he had this incredible revelation. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. Now, how many of you know, I think John's without words here, because that doesn't even hardly make sense. I saw thousands and millions, and because I think he's saying, I'm overwhelmed by the sheer number of angels that are giving God glory and worshiping the Lamb. In fact, there's thousands of millions of them, all right? And look at what it says next. They're all around the throne. And there's these living beings, and there's the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. And look at the accolades, one that piles on the next. I want you to read them with me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and blessing. Can I say that again? Power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And what I want you to see from this, these accolades that are being poured out upon Jesus, they're flowing from the hearts of his people. Can can I just share something with you? We should never get upset 
about being generous. We should never get excited about giving God anything because what you find around the throne is people who are so consumed and grateful and thankful to God that out of their spirits flows everything, riches, honor, power, whatever. You take it all, Jesus. You take it all. You're worthy of it all. That's what the resurrection means. How about we live that way now? How about we not wait till that day? How about we live that way now? Riches, honor, power, glory. I mean, my gosh, they're just piling up the accolades. Daniel saw this. He said Jesus is going to be given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. How many of you have been born into that kingdom? You're you're part of a kingdom that will never, ever end. You know what's going to happen between now and the second coming of Jesus? The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is moving. The kingdom is expanding. The kingdom is eternal. That's what Jesus invites us to be a part of. How many of you know we're part of a winning program? I am so glad I do not serve a loser fake God. Now, I know this is politically incorrect today, but it's true. Every stinking world religion is a demonic compromise. It is a weak, pathetic, loser religion compared to the victory that Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. We are part of a winning team. My son was sitting in school and the teacher was saying, you know, Islam and Hinduism and all these things, basically they all worship the same God. Now, if you're at this church, you cannot keep your mouth shut at that time in that class because you need to say, excuse moi, hello. They're not all the same God. We serve a God who is going to magnificently defeat all of his enemies Every nation on planet earth is going to bow before the Lord. Do you understand the raw power I'm talking about here today? Do you understand the absolute authority of God Almighty that he says every nation is going to bow before me? I've established my son in total authority over the nations of the world. King Solomon in Psalm 72 said that all kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. Can I just challenge us this morning? What's holding us back right now? There should be a sense of awesome power when we encounter the resurrection that says, you know what, Jesus is not someone to be trifled with or domesticated. Jesus is scary awesome. The lamb in the book of Revelation is coming back as a lion who is roaring. He's coming back as a lion who's roaring. We get a chance to roar with him. Now, last thing I'm going to say. Yep, last thing I'm going to say. (laughs) When the Bible says that he divides his spoils among the many, who's the many? Jesus comes back after conquering every demonic enemy of ours, including death. He's wearing on his body the marks of his suffering. He's got battle scars. And he comes riding back into town, so to speak. Behind him is all of the enemies that he's conquered. And then behind all the enemies he's conquered is all the spoils that he stole from them. And who's the many that he's sharing this with? He's dividing the spoils. Who's the many? It's you and me. 
It's his brothers and sisters. Hey, Brian, you need some forgiveness? Take it. Hey, you need some healing? Take it, Kyle. Hey, you need some peace? Brian, have some peace. Hey, you need some right standing with God, justification? Terry, have some of that. What's the Son of God doing? He's taking all the spoils of everything that we need in super abundance, and he's dishing it out. It's part of the celebration. Here's what I want you to see as we close today. If you could imagine this stage area, this altar area full of everything. You need forgiveness. Jesus offers it. You need anything. You need, you need hope. He's got it. You need breakthrough. He's got it. You need, you need power to deliver you from sin. There's power right here, right now in the, in the resurrection of Christ. You need healing in your body. Yep, he's got that. What do you need? You need freedom from guilt and shame. Guess what? He offers it freely. There's treasure at this altar. I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning. What a picture. Our exalted king giving out the stuff, the spoils of war. You know, if you don't know Christ this morning, we're going to have our team up here. And the good news is you can say, you know what, I, I need forgiveness. I need to know Christ. And guess what? Jesus is waiting for you. So I'm going to have our, our ministry team come forward. And if you don't know the Lord, I just want you right now to slip out of your seat right now. People are going to be here to pray with you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to bow your knee to the Son of God and to recognize His greatness and His goodness and His kindness and His mercy. If you need healing today or you need any ministry, you know, in, a, in an audience this size, there are people that came here today with needs. And I just got good news for you. Jesus is waiting. And He wants to touch you. And people want to love on you and want to encourage you today. So, Father, thank You. We just proclaim the greatness of Your Son and the power of the resurrection. And Lord, we thank you. Every enemy's been already vanquished. Every demon in hell trembles at the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we proclaim liberty today, freedom today, amnesty today for rebels. Everything that the cross means for us, Lord, we boldly proclaim it today over this house. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the beautiful family that we're a part of. Thank you for the never-ending kingdom that we're a part of, Lord. Thank you for your coming triumph and for the return of Jesus in boldness and in power and in glory. And Lord, until then, help us to be found faithful to live out this gospel message. So Jesus, how about this? Let's present ourselves to him. Jesus, we give you our lives. We give you our hearts. We give you everything that we are as our rightful king. We submit to you, Lord. Use us today. May we be found faithful in the mission that you've given to us now, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord one more shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.